Hello, everyone. My name is Mary Kirby, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode one of the PaxX podcast, where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm very good, Mary. Hello to you. Hello to everyone. It's a real pleasure and an honor to be joining you in this new project. Ooh, thank you so much for joining me. It's very exciting days here and obviously so much going on in the industry, so much happening uh, to the passenger experience and evolving uh, very, very quickly. So uh, so I can't think of a better time uh, to, to launch this podcast. Now, before we get started, we'd like to thank Lufthansa Systems for sponsoring this podcast. And let me tell you a little bit about Lufthansa Systems. The company's Board Connect wireless in-flight entertainment solution provides passengers with access to hundreds of hours of movies, TV shows, and music, all available on their own personal electronic devices. Virgin Australia, Lufthansa, and Al Al have already started rolling out Board Connect or will begin offering it in 2014. Opening new ways for communication and interaction between an airline and its passengers, this technology will have a tremendous impact on the overall travel experience. And on a personal note, I had the opportunity to use Board Connect while on board a Condor Airlines Boeing 767, and I can report that I was able to effortlessly stream movies to a PED. So thank you very much, Lufthansa Systems. Now it's my pleasure to introduce John Walton as our very first guest. John is the Director of Data for Route Happy, and John... It's so great that you're able to join us. Uh, you identify as a travel fiend, airline aficionado. Tell me a little bit about yourself, John. Hey, Mary. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, I'm the director of Data for Route Happy, the uh, flight data and search site. Uh, and uh, what that means is that I'm in charge of our uh, massive, uh, complex database of what's on board every plane in the world. Um, it's an absolutely fantastic job. It is right at the heart of the passenger experience. And uh, I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing. Fantastic. Max, have you have had, had any uh, interaction with John in the past? Uh, he's very active on social media. He's, he's become a real thought leader in the passenger experience space. No, actually, I have not. But I'm very pleased to meet you, John, and benefit from your knowledge and experience. Of course, I know uh, Route Happy, uh, but I haven't, haven't ever met or spoken to John. Oh, thanks, Max. It's great to be here and uh, good to meet you, too. All right. Let's take a look at some of the top PaxX news stories making headlines. Well, firstly, after years of development, JetBlue has launched its in-flight Wi-Fi service, FlyFi, and it appears to have been well worth the wait. Both myself and John were on the carrier's inaugural promo flight, actually, just this week. Uh, John, what was your impression of the service? What What a fun experience, by the way. What a great time. That really was. I can't think of a better thing to do with my Wednesday than spend it uh, <laughs> flying around the skies of the Northeast US with, uh, with great people and good friends. Uh, hey, fly, fly, I was blown out of the water. Um, yeah. I was incredibly impressed. You know, I mean, you're looking at downloads of, uh, during the test that I ran, 22 to 28 megabits per second. Now, that's faster than my home fiber connection in New York. Um, uploads were averaging around a half a megabit per second, which is, you know, a little bit slow, but was perfectly good for anything that we wanted to do. Um, and we were really testing that bird, you know? I mean, in just those three rows that, that, that a bunch of us were sitting in, we had Netflix, uh, HD YouTube videos, Google Hangouts, Skype and FaceTime happening, you know, all at once on multiple computers. You know, we were trying to, we were trying to make it break and it didn't. 
I know that it was so amazing. I mean, they, I think JetBlue said something along the lines of 60, uh, people using their devices. Uh, and as you say, everything, including live streaming. Jason Rabinowitz, uh, airline flyer was, uh, was doing a kind of a live stream feed that I only, <laughs> that I only found last night online, but it was, um, it was amazing. Some really high bandwidth functionality. The system was really put to the test and it, you know, I, I think, it would be a virtual flawless rollout at this point. I think that would be fair to say with respect to JetBlue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that 16 number has only increased. Uh, I was uh, talking with Jamie Perry, who's uh, JetBlue's Wi-Fi guy, um, and he was saying that they were up to, I think it was 111 people uh, oh, on wow. one flight. So, I mean, that's just, that's just fantastic. You know, um, you know, and as long as they can, can, can keep that going with the, um, you know, with the rollout of, a full fleet Wi-Fi and as, as more aircraft get on board, I, I think that they've, they're onto a winner here. I think that's the big question is once, you know, hundreds of aircraft are equipped, obviously not just JetBlue, but also United Airlines is bringing it to 200 Boeing aircraft. Will the service still be able to offer that, uh, you know, level of capacity to passengers? That's They're saying that, that they have no capacity concerns, which is exciting. Do you think it's going to be a game changer then? Because you have the likes of, you know, the KU and the air to ground system here in the United States scrapping it out. Do you think this KA regional service is going to be a game changer for JetBlue? Actually, I do. Um, you know, they, they had some fairly uh, hostile press this year about not having any Wi-Fi. And as they install it on more of their fleet, I think that's really going to be a winner for them. The trick is going to be, obviously, to make sure that people understand the difference between uh, their Wi-Fi and other people's Wi-Fi. It's the, uh, the old airline commoditization problem uh, writ large. You know, I mean, people experience L-band or... Um, you know, or go go on a large plane when there's lots of people on it. And they're like, oh, this in-flight Wi-Fi thing isn't really all it's cracked up to be. Whereas you and I have experienced, you know, really fast, really good internet on planes. You know, JetBlue has a task in, in making sure that, you know, enough people know that this is probably faster than their home connection. And what's the pricing model that JetBlue is intending to use? Well, uh, initially, they started off with uh, a two-tier model. One, one was free and then one uh, is nine ninety nine per hour. We didn't find much of a difference between the free and the paid version, but I imagine that JetBlue will be, um, you know, carving out different tiers, different pricing models, and that will be something that they'll be looking into as, as, as the system rolls out. They're going to have to throttle some of those free users back. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> In order to preserve that paid service. However, however, they are looking um, quite closely at pricing. So they haven't, they're not necessarily fixed on, uh, they got originally right now $9 for the premium service and then free basic service, but they're, they're not necessarily wedded to that. So we could see some changes in pricing coming down the pike as well. Um, the one thing I thought was really interesting is that JetBlue is to a certain degree subsidizing this service for its passengers. And, and when I spoke to, uh, you know, their uh, senior VP of marketing, Marty St. George on, on board the aircraft, he said, you know, that's what JetBlue is known for doing. They subsidize live television and they're actually willing to throw in some money to cover the connectivity. Now, what does that mean to the ultimate price of the ticket? What do you think, John? Well, I think that that's fairly similar to the model that Norwegian uses in Europe and yeah. which Norwegian competitors like Finnair are having to do because Norwegian is the market leader here. You know, you can't charge if somebody else gives it away for free. Right. And so, you know, it's going to be that it, it, the same thing as, as happened with the Southwest effect and later the JetBlue effect with, you know, fair and schedule pricing. Um, Wi-Fi is going to become more of a commodity and 
you know, people are, are already expecting it and they're surprised when they don't get it. Um, you know, we, I was just reading one of our Route Happy reviews today where one of our reviewers, you know, was traveling up, up from uh, Atlanta to LaGuardia on a plane that didn't have Wi-Fi. And he was surprised and irritated by that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's starting to become something that, that people, people just expect. Sure, you develop that expectation and then you don't provide it and the customers start to become upset. I wonder, is there ever any talk about extending something this speedy into the into the terminal, into the, the boarding area, for example? That's a good oh, idea. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, Mary and I and a couple of other journalists ended up in, uh, in the airspace lounge doing some work off the flight, you know, trying to file. And the Wi-Fi there was... 0.2% as fast. Oh, as wow. And that's not 2%, that's 0.2%. Um, you know, the, it's, it's, it's insane you know, how fast the, the JetBlue Wi-Fi is. Well, but we're also starting to see this even with, uh, you know, services that aren't quite as fast. So, uh, you know, in a number of airports uh, recently, I found that uh, I was waiting with anticipation to get on board uh, my aircraft, which would be equipped with GoGo, because I felt I had a better chance of getting a better connectivity service than I did at the airport. And sure enough, I did. So I found even even though, you know, GoGo cannot nearly boast the speeds of uh, what FlyFi has got, it's still... Still, uh, amazingly better than uh, some of the uh, on-the-ground services, which really, I don't know, I think that's a message to airports that they, they really need to start taking a, a real close look at that and, and what do they need to do, um, you know, because uh, airport connectivity, I mean, this is essential. If you've got delays, you've got cancellations, you've got airlines that are increasingly pushing people, you know, to, to handle uh, that stuff themselves, um, you really need to provide the connectivity. What do you, what do you think, John? Oh, absolutely. Completely without a doubt. I mean, way too many U.S. airports are locked into long-term contracts um, through a lack of foresight by their management teams. Um, and these are long-term contracts with the big Wi-Fi providers who charge, you know, six ninety-five a day for a service that is now, you know, expected to be just provided. Um, you know, if Starbucks can provide it, why can't your airport? And the other problem is, of course, that cellular networks haven't kept pace with the number of people wanting to use their phone at an airport. We run into situations where one side of a plane you can get connectivity, the other side you can't from the same network. Um, airports and the cell phone providers really need to up their game here. Now, obviously, it's against the airport's interest to have cell phone availability when they're trying to sell Wi-Fi. But I just can't believe that we're in a stage where, where I can't get a reliable cell signal to do something as simple as tweet or send an Instagram picture in 2013. I know, it's mad. New York JFK is a big offender, in my opinion. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) All right, well, let's uh, push on to our next topic. This is a pretty timely topic at that. Now that the FCC seems intent on clearing the way for in-flight mobile connectivity, the DOT, the U.S. Department of Transportation, has proposed banning in-flight voice calls. So there are uh, arguments on on both sides of this, I think, and everybody seems passionate. But uh, the the first thing I think to get straight is, uh, what is this with the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and the DOT? One seeming to say yes and one seeming to say no. And really the point to understand here, I think, is that both of these agencies are looking at different issues. The FCC is looking to determine if the current technology that supports in-flight cell phone use is disruptive to the ground-based system of cell towers that we use now. Of course, that 
cell switching system was designed for short-range uh, ground-based phones, people traveling on the highway at those speeds, not for high-altitude phones with perfect line of sight zipping uh, through space, uh, through the airspace on a jet. So the FCC has to determine first if the technologies match or not, and if they do match, then the DOT can decide if they're going to allow or not voice and or data use of cell phones in flight. So there are a lot of passionate people who are uh, dead set against cell phones in flight. I just very quickly, I, I mean, I think that you're absolutely right. This has become a really hot button issue. Um, Federal Communications Commission, it realizes that, you know, carriers, uh, foreign carriers have been offering in-flight mobile connectivity, which uh, allows you to use your cell phone for not just voice, but also text and data. Um, they've been allowing this for years. In fact, Emirates, um, you know, has, has offered it since I believe 2007. Uh, so we're actually kind of behind the times a little bit here. But finally, the FCC realizes that it needs to overturn some of these anti antiquated rules. Um, in, yesterday, in fact, um, they voted in favor of um, releasing a notice of proposed rulemaking that will essentially uh, take us down that path and get us to the point where uh, these bans won't be in place. Immediately after the FCC did this, the DOT issued a statement saying, well, you know, we'll let the FCC do its job, but as far as in-flight voice calls, uh, we are, are going uh, to move to, to not permit that. And that comes also in tandem with um, Representative Schuster uh, proposing that he would uh, propose a ban on in-flight voice calls. So on the one hand, you've got the FCC that, that is doing what it needs to do, and that is move forward on the technology. But then you've got the DOT saying, we're not going to allow voice. It's really, really uh, interesting because obviously, as you say, passengers are are not happy about the prospect of in-flight voice calls. And yet, voice over IP, which is over the in-flight connectivity systems today, they're happening all the time. I mean, John and I uh, both, you know, obviously put this FlyFi, JetBlue FlyFi system to the test, and we were able to, I mean, it was pretty amazing, uh, the Skype calls and everything else that, that we were able to do. Um, John, what do you think? I mean, obviously, this is, a, this is really <laughs> lots of passion about this, this particular topic. I think that this is a, a lot of whipped up froth uh, of, of a storm in a teacup. Uh, you know, we've been able to make phone calls since those old seatback air phones, which still exist. You know, there are lots of airlines that still have those when the, the ones who have handset IFE. Most mm-hmm. of the handsets will have the swipe on one side, um, which is also a, a, a phone. Um, dozens of airlines let people make cell calls already, and I have yet to hear any actual complaints. For me, the objections are this sort of breathless tabloid fear-mongering that the UK is so well-known for. Um, and, and it's actually not even fear-mongering. It's annoyance-mongering, right? It's about having some chitter-chatter next to you. Um, but I think we all know that the chitter-chatter is not going to pay the roaming fees that, that you're going to get socked with to speak from the plane. People already you know, know about the fact that if they go overseas, their roaming charges will be high. So why would they try and make a call from a plane? Um, an environment which is actually quite, you know, has a lot of background noise to, to do that. And and the background noise is the other thing. I mean, we were, you know, testing it and talking fairly loudly um, on the plane. And the person's voice on an Airbus A220 that JetBlue was, was flying stretched maybe one, two rows. So that's nine people that you're, you know, that could potentially even hear you. But it would be no different from somebody sitting next to you, you know, talking to their friend or their other half or anything. I, I, I'm very much on, on team let people talk. 
Um, and, you know, yeah. So that, that person who is annoying on the plane is already going to be annoying on the plane in some other way, like clipping their toenails or having their feet on the seats or something. This is, this is not going to be a, a, the end of the world. John, I'm on the other team. I, I think it's totally the end of the world. I, I, you know, I think I agree on international flights, maybe not such an, an issue, but on domestic flights, you know, if you're in a restaurant or in a line somewhere, anywhere, you're just surrounded by people conducting inane phone conversations, not because they need to, but simply because they can. Open that up to in-flight, and everyone, everyone is going to be doing that. They'll be yakking about garbage loudly. And I think it'll be really disruptive. I don't know. What do you think, Mary? I come right down the middle on this one. I don't believe in putting artificial barriers in place with when it comes to technology on board the aircraft. That, it doesn't make any sense to legislate manners, in my, in my opinion. With all of that said, um, you know, I, uh, I think that airlines and passengers need to kind of look at the bigger picture. Once you, you know, streamline the process for allowing mobile connectivity on board, you can do any number of different things. You can, A, decide to disable the voice and just allow text messaging and mobile data. That's something that really needs to be stressed, and I don't think it's stressed enough. These systems that, you know, the FCC is talking about approving um, essentially allow you to use your mobile phone in the air as you would on the ground, but the flight attendant can simply switch off and turn that voice functionality off. Or you can just, uh, you know, have the system installed so that it's always off. Lufthansa is among the carriers that is bringing mobile connectivity to its aircraft and have decided to do this. So um, this whole idea of, you know, putting barriers in place, um, legislating manners, I'm not a fan of that. But at the same token, I think airlines should have the right, if they want to flick that switch and turn it off, uh, to have that right. Uh, equally, what about a scenario whereby you do offer the full shebang? You offer text, mobile data, and voice, but you only allow voice for one particular, you know, a portion of the flight. So, say, for example, on a long haul flight, in the last hour of the flight, when people need to perhaps reach their friends and family, let their pe- you know people know where they're at or whatnot, or want to make a call, you could say, "Listen, we're turning on the, we're flicking the switch on voice. We're going to allow it for an hour, and then it, you know, giving airlines the flexibility to do these things. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I, I think that in all the noise about this issue and about people being afraid of of what's going to happen in flight, uh, the kind of the bigger the bigger issue is not being addressed, and that. That is, what does it mean for airlines, and, and shouldn't they have the flexibility to choose yes. the type of services that they offer? I think passengers? they should, yeah. And so, so my sort of overall uh, perspective on this is that the FCC should go ahead and take a look at it, and they will almost certainly declare that, maybe within yeah. certain parameters, that it's allowable. I think the DOT should not ban it. I think the uh, our friends in Congress who are introducing legislation, bills to prohibit cell phone use on planes, I think they should not do that. And that it should be up to the airlines, to each airline, to decide how it wants to address it. I mean, if an airline wants to – remember the, the uh, smoking zones in airplanes? Well, oh, yes. <laughs> if, if an airline wants to create a, a, you know, a cell phone zone or something like that and a, and a cell phone free zone, fine, let them do that, whatever they want. And then you get to pick you know, your flights based on how compatible that airline's policy is with what you want as a customer. 
Well, just just very quickly, I think it's really funny. A lot of these legislators don't actually even understand the technology, and no. uh, so they introduce these bills and they think that you know, they, but they haven't taken the time to actually understand what they're talking about. So when I see this stuff from uh, Republican uh, Schuster, I think, have you even spent the time to understand what this is? Um, and and many of them haven't. So. That's well, my two also, cents. <laughs> also, I, I, this, the Representative Schuster's district is just over the Maryland border in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Like, yeah <laughs> how can someone who doesn't even have to make long-distance flights for, for his job, how does that person, you know, even understand what, what is going on or, or even, you know, even feel like he's able to, to, to comment on this? It just baffles me. But, you know, it's, it was really funny. I was talking with um, a family friend who used to be a TWA flight attendant back in the day. Um, and she was saying that this reminds her of when in-flight movies came in. People were really worried that the movie was going to be so distracting and they were going to be you know, taken away from their book or, or spending quality time with their family. And now we just look at in-flight movies and go, well, of course there are in-flight movies. You know, <laughs> we, we complain when there's actually an in-flight movie on the big screen rather than on our seat back. I know, so, we've definitely gotten used I, to that. I think history, history, will, <laughs> history will look back at this as like, what was it very different? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let's look at Ryanair for a few minutes. Ryanair is looking to improve the passenger experience. Uh, the carrier's permitting a second carry-on bag. Uh, they're even talking about providing assigned seats next year. And they're, they're even eyeing partnerships with global distribution systems, uh, GDSs. Is this expected? What's, what's driving these changes at Ryanair? Hell has frozen over, Max. I think so. <laughs> it really has. This is, I mean, it's just phenomenal. And I have, you know, I have a lot of uh, Irish friends and family, um, and uh, they're just kind of in a state of shock right now. I, I uh, Comments on Facebook and whatnot. It's just like they cannot believe it. And many of them are actually quite excited. John, you're very familiar with this neck of the woods and what might be driving Ryanair. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. You know, I'm a big fan of, of Ryanair and what they offer. They offer a consistent set of expectations and they deliver it every time. Um, I think that this, this whole thing is, has, has provided a lot of free publicity for Ryanair. Whether or not the intention was just to provide free publicity or whether they've realized that people are starting to expect a little bit more and that it doesn't actually cost them much to provide a little bit more and they can even make some more money off it. I, I, you know, I think this is, this is, a plus for passengers, assuming that the core Ryanair experience of, you know, cheap flights like a bus in the sky, you know, doesn't result in higher fares. And of course, they're they're facing, uh, you know, competition from EasyJet, which has gone, you know, down uh, this route and, and including the global distribution systems. I think this is where Ryanair really feels like um, it, it needs to start looking at those corporate clients, um, uh, which is, you know, it, they're kind of leaving money on the table right now by not doing that. So... Uh, very interesting days for Ryanair. Very interesting days for Ryanair. But one of the things, um, you know, that's happening kind of more broadly with these GDSs is that they, uh, they seem to be at a point where they're not really able to keep pace uh, with all of the ancillary revenue opportunities out there. And, of course, Ryanair is among the carriers that has been concerned about this. Once you sign up with a GDS, will that GDS be able to display all of those unbundled products? Um, and so, so it's going to be very interesting to kind of pay attention to this space. But, John, your company is doing some really things uh, kind of in this space. Can you tell us about a little bit more about Route Happy and uh, and how passengers have have a lot of visibility with respect to the products that they that they're buying. 
Sure, absolutely. Um, Route Happy was created to essentially fix the problem of everybody not knowing what's on board their flight. Um, we see that flight search is incredibly commoditized. And what that means is that people don't think that any airline is any different from any other airline. When you and I and Max know, Mary, that um, the airlines are markedly different. I mean, on, on the same flight, you could be flying on a you know, 16.7-inch wide seat with um, you know, 29 inches of legroom versus a 19.5-inch wide seat with 34 inches of legroom for actually not that much difference in price. Route Happy uses uh, key amenities to create a score um, to, to, to really show people what the difference is in flight. I know it's 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 phenomenal. I, I I absolutely love the service and and being able to see what your what type of seat you're going to get. So important. Well, so absolutely. Important. I mean, you know, in in economy, it's it's all about the seat and what what you can do while you're in it. Um, up front in in business and first class, it's about what kind of seat you're in. You know, are you going to be on a long flight on a you know basic recliner first class seat, which is perfectly fine for sitting in, um, or are you going to have a full flat bed? You know, not the sort, not the angle flat sort where, you know, you start sliding down, but your clothes remain where they started. <laughs> and, you know, would you even have one of the best sort, the full flat pods, which have directile access so that you don't have to clamber over the person next to you in the middle of the night if you need to nip out? <laughs> um, this, this is important stuff, which, which you know, no TDS shows. You know, very few airlines even show it. Um, you know, airlines, you know, talk about things like, you know, lie flat seating. And you never know whether that's going to be in you know, an angle flat that you're sliding down or uh, a full flat seat that's actually parallel to the floor or one of the new full flat pods. Um, so we're fixing that problem. Um, you know, we, we uh, have core happiness factors that explain the key amenities offered on every flight worldwide. So that's seat pitch, seat width, uh, seat layout, type of aircraft, uh, what kind of entertainment's on board. Uh, plugs and what kind of plugs and whether there's a USB socket and whether you can use, you know, those larger UK plugs. In-flight Wi-Fi, you know, we're the only uh, flight search site that tracks international in-flight Wi-Fi outside the US. And then we factor in flight duration uh, and connections as well, uh, time of day and uh, flyer ratings uh, of both the airline and airports that you pass through, weighted differently from whether you're departing, connecting or arriving, because a departure airport obviously counts much more than, than an arrival airport, because you spend more time there, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we, we've spent years creating the most comprehensive amenities data set in the world, and, and we're still innovating. We're still uh, adding things, improving things, uh, adding more happiness factors, it's, it's a really exciting place to be uh, and it's a really exciting time for the industry. Do you ever think you'll drill down even further now that we're seeing different connectivity systems in the marketplace? Do you think that you could see a time when you say this is an air-to-ground system and you can expect X speeds? This is a... Do you think you'll ever get to that point or do you think that'll be necessary? I know that the, the RT, uh, ATG guys, the KU guys, the L-band guys, the KA-band guys, you know, they're all constantly evolving and trying to improve their services and capacity. But do you think it will be worthwhile, you think, to tell passengers that eventually? Oh, we already drill down um, into different kinds of in-flight Wi-Fi. Um, currently, we base it on how you pay for it, whether or not you're roaming on a cell phone or whether you're connecting with a browser and paying with a credit card or, right. or, a, or an account. And we'll absolutely, and um, we've, we've already started our discussions on how we will um, track, score, and um, and explain the differences in Wi-Fi because, you know, as we talked about earlier with, um, with the FlyFi news, uh, passengers need some information about whether or not this hype is actually worthwhile. Now, 
I personally think that that SlyFi is a fantastic service, and that that you know that via that connection, wherever it appears and however it's branded, um, is really something to look out for. It is an absolute hidden gem um, among a lot of you know a, a lot of rough to, to to find it in. So I'm yeah I'm I I I can't wait to to, to delve deeper into that. Mm, fun, Max. Have you had a chance to look at Route Happy yet? Yeah, I was interested in the sponsored happiness factors. I think that's an interesting concept. At, at first, I was a little bit uh, that made, given that name. I'm thinking, ah, oh, you know, they're, <laughs> they're they're paying to get their positions, you know, inflated, and is that right? But, but then, when you look at examples of the sponsored happiness factors, they're all things that I would want to know if I'm selecting a flight. Uh, things that are specific, uh, you know, more specific than the general kinds of happiness factors that that John was talking about. Right, well, absolutely, and, and and that's what we really went for. You know, we really wanted this to be something that people wanted to use rather than just you know slapping ads on the site. You know, every flight search site has you know, fifteen different ads for you know showing you how to reduce your belly fat through this one great tip from a stay-at-home mother. You know, it's um, we we used our um, amenities database flight pad and our matching algorithms flight match to um, you know enable airlines to to, to use uh, our, our systems to show actually relevant information to flyers when it matters. So you know if you're looking to fly Delta Business Class uh, internationally in their um, in their front cabin, um, we will show you what seat they have, and we won't show you the seats that aren't on that route. So if you're flying a route that has, um, you know, is a Boeing 767 route, we'll show you that Thompson Vantage seat. If you're flying a route, flying a route that's a 747 route, we'll, we'll show you the, uh, the, the Sigma Cirrus seat. You know, we won't show you the wrong seat uh, on that flight. Um, so it's, it's, it's things like that. It's, um, you know, revealing the, um, the, the availability of things like in-flight food. Um, we know what the um, programmatic factors are um, for airline food service. We know, you know, uh, when they'll be serving food and on what flights. So we can say, you know, yes, on, 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 on this route, because uh, let's look at Alaska Airlines. Uh, on this route, it's a Horizon-operated service which means that you get a uh, choice of a free wine or beer. Whereas if it's an Alaska-operated service, um, you get a choice of more options, but uh, that comes on a non-complementary basis. So, you know, it's, it's really something that we're looking to, in the same way that we uh, look to end the practice of people not knowing what they're getting when they fly, we're looking to end the, uh, the presence of on-select routes or selected aircraft only. Uh, because we know what routes they're on, and we know what aircraft they're on, and we can show people only what's on those routes and aircraft. John, you guys are sitting on an absolute mountain of data, and uh, I could talk about this till the day is long, but we have come to the end of our of our adventure this time around. I can't wait to, to talk to you again, though, and I hope you will consider being a guest uh, again on this, uh, on this podcast. And many thanks to our listeners. John, can you tell us where our listeners can find you? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at ThatJohn. You can find RouteHappy at, at RouteHappy or at RouteHappy.com. And of course, uh, you can find us at uh, RunwayGirlNetwork.com and uh, personally uh, on Twitter, RunwayGirl, which is really easy. Max, you want to see us through? And, and I, I think we absolutely we should absolutely uh, thank our sponsor once again, Lufthansa System. Thank you so much. Fantastic. 
All right. Well, join us again next week as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX podcast. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.